many people really do care. Many doctors really do care about the state of the world, um, the state of the NHS. Here in the UK, we're coming towards the end of a general election campaign with polling day on 12th of December, now less than a week away. This is the fifth and final podcast in a series where the BMJ has looked at the role of health, healthcare and the NHS in the general election campaign. Today we're going to be looking at how doctors are engaging with politics and the political process. I have with me Abby Rimmer, the BMJ's careers editor, and we're joined by Louise Irvin and Andy Cowper. Louise and Andy, can I ask you to introduce yourselves? I'm Louise Irvin. I'm a GP, um, also known as a, a family doctor, in South London, and I've been there for about 30 years, although I'm originally Scottish. And I'm on the council of the British Medical Association, although obviously I'm speaking in a personal capacity here. Hello, I'm Andy Cowper. I'm a journalist and I've been writing about the politics and management for the NHS for the past 20 years. Abby, can I come to you first? Um, This week in the BMJ and the Printish and Online, we've looked at doctors who are standing as MPs in the election. So how many doctors are standing and what are some of their reasons for doing so? So there isn't a definitive list of how many doctors are standing for election, but when we looked into it, we found that there were 51 in total who are standing as candidates. Most of those are either standing for the Conservative Party or the Liberal Democrats. And the reasons vary, but lots of people talk about wanting to change the system and improve things for their patients. And as you might expect, there was mention of Brexit. So, for example, David Nicholl, who's a consultant neurologist and the Liberal Democrat candidate for Bromsgrove, says he's fed up with politicians ignoring the risk to the NHS from Brexit. Mm. Louise, you yourself have stood as a candidate in the election. What what was your experience, and what what made you want to stand? Well, I was um, I stood for the National Health Action Party uh, both in two thousand and fifteen and two thousand and seventeen against Jeremy Hunt in South West Surrey, who was the um, Secretary of State for Health at the time. Um, and I was motivated because I I did I do think health and healthcare in the NHS is a very political issue because the kinds of decisions that uh, governments make really do impact on our health and our healthcare system and therefore I wanted to be able I was frustrated and angry about what was going down you know what Jeremy Hunt was doing and I just wanted to be able to both have a platform to express um, a, a counter position challenge him but also. If I had got elected, I think it would have been very helpful to have had somebody who would, whose primary aim was to champion the NHS to be elected to Parliament. Mm. And how did you find the experience? Was it? Uh, I thought it was very exciting. It was fun. Great, great bunch of people helped me in the campaign. It was very challenging doing the hustings uh, with Jeremy Hunter there and others, but I, I rose to the challenge. I, th- I thought it was, you know, it was taxing, but I was so happy and so pleased I did it. Mm. I mean, some of the people we talked to for the feature talked about it being a lot of work. They weren't expecting that, but mm. also sort of people's reaction. Did you find a bit of that? That was yes. The doorstep was it was a huge amount of work, and it's partly because I thought it was important that I swatted up and had all my facts, and I didn't want to have any car crashes, as they say. And I arrived at my very first hustings in 2015. Um, Jeremy Hunt was one of them, and I had actually a ring, a green big folder full of all my notes I'd summarized everything and made one side of A4 and highlighted points and all the other candidates there waiting to go in they kind of looked at me and they kind of laughed a bit and said Louise what are you doing I said well I just want to be prepared so I think that was the way I took it and people liked that they liked the fact that I did know my facts and I was able to make um, good challenges and uh, I got a very, very good reception I also got good reception on the doorstep from people who said well, you know, South West Surrey is one of these constituencies where 
you know, Jeremy Hunt was one of the safest, one of the safest mm. conservative uh, seats. So a lot of people thought there was no point in voting and were a bit despondent. And they they like to see somebody fresh coming along with something fresh to say. And I think I got the second time I stood, I came second mm-hmm. uh, with 20 percent of the vote. Mm-hmm. And I know I got some votes from some conservatives. Mm. And um, it's talking about the conservatives there. I mean, a, a large number of doctors are standing for either the Conservatives or the Lib Dems, over half the ones that are standing, sort of fewer for Greens and Labour, but they're higher. Mm. Does that surprise you, Andy, Andy, in terms of, you know, who you would expect sort of doctors as a whole to be standing for? It it surprises me a little, I think, um, because the NHS has often been seen as a a Labour Party issue. Labour was the party, of course, who introduced the NHS. Uh, The Conservatives voted against every single vote of the creation of the NHS in 1948. Um, But it's very hard to generalise about doctors, uh, I find. Uh, You know, there is a genuine diversity of political opinion among among people who are clinicians. Um, To me, the pertinent question is perhaps what kind of doctors we're going to have elected as MPs. I mean, you know, if you look at some of the people who are doctors in the Commons at the moment, uh, you know, you have Dr. Sarah Wollaston, who's been the chair of the uh, Health Select Committee. She was elected as an independent Conservative. You may remember that David Cameron went through a period where they had open selections f- to have MPs, and Sarah Wollaston was the was the one person who was chosen via that route. And and she, I think, has proven to be a very strong voice for the NHS, a really effective chair of the House of Commons Health Select Committee. Um, She's now, interestingly, with the uh, gyrations of the Conservative Party over Brexit and the fact that the Conservative Party really isn't what it used to be. It's not the Conservative and Unionist Party anymore, because if you look at their position on Brexit, it's it's very, very likely to damage the union of the UK. and so it's interesting that Sarah Wollstone's ended up as a Liberal Democrat now. That's that's her new political party. Um, and, uh, you know, I hope she'll be re-elected. Um, Dr. Philippa Whitford for the Scottish National Party. Again, a profoundly impressive voice on NHS issues in the House of Commons. A really interesting woman with genuine experience. Um, then you've got, by contrast, perhaps uh, Dr. Liam Fox, who I don't think anybody would say has been the strongest voice for medical issues in the House of Commons. Uh, and so, in all honesty, their political affiliation is is of interest, um, but how they'll actually perform and represent the NHS in Parliament is, I think, much more germane. Mm. And, Abby, in terms of this sort of the, the over 50 we found that this year going into um, looking to go into Parliament. I mean, how does that compare historically? And is that fewer or more than other professions? Is this similar to we'd find amongst, I guess, lawyers or accountants or whatever? So um, historically, it's quite interesting. A, a colleague and myself looked at this in 2015, and we found that um, during the elections held between 1918 and 1945, 159 doctors stood for election and 72 were successful. But um, sort of going forward actually the numbers seem to fall so between 1945 and 1979 only 28 doctors were elected to parliament and then since 1979 to 2015 which we have the data for we found that between every year sort of roughly between five and nine doctors were elected at the election so mm. this year's number seems does seem higher than we've had previously but um, as you say, Tom, there is a difference between doctors and other professions, and doctors do seem to be underrepresented compared to other professions. So I think 
doctors really only account for a very small proportion of the types of people who become politicians. They more likely seem to be barristers, solicitors or, or even journalists. Mm. And Louise, what's your take? Do you think we should have more doctors going into politics generally and particularly Parliament? Yes, I do. I, I think that um, any profession can bring particular expertise to play. And I think that doctors, not just doctors, but also nurses and other healthcare professionals could um, play a very valuable role if they were in Parliament. I am disappointed to hear that there aren't more um, doctors standing for the Labour Party because um, regardless of how good an individual may be um, as an MP, they have to follow the line of their, their party. And I'm disappointed because, in my view, the last 10 years of first coalition and then Conservative government has done untold damage to the NHS. And going forward, I don't think that either of those parties has any um, good uh, plans for the NHS. In fact, I think it's, it's going to be it's going to be very, very um, damaging over the next five years too. So I just wish that there were more um, doctors and other health workers standing for the Labour Party because I actually, I'm now a member of the Labour Party and I actually think their policies are pretty good. Andy, do you think it, it do you think we have got too few doctors? Would it be better to have more? Or, and is it as well as doctors, is it more sort of people from scientific, technical, healthcare, sort of informed backgrounds, and people with a bit, a bit of experience in the world that they're they're, they're legislating over? Yeah, I, I had a slight shiver when uh, I heard Abby's uh, figure about the number of journalists who've gone into uh, <laughs> Parliament. Um, you know, and if you look at Boris Johnson, the current Prime Minister, and 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 Michael Gove, uh, it's sort of very, not necessarily a heartening experience to see the uh, the competence and delivery of journalists when you let them anywhere near near power. Um, I guess I probably go back to my thought that the, the individual matters very much, and and it isn't. I mean, I think Louise has made an excellent point. It should, we shouldn't only say. Doctors should be elected to Parliament. I think people with experience of healthcare more broadly um, can offer great perspectives. I mean, there's there's an Im very impressive uh, the MP for uh, Bristol East, uh, Karen Dr. Karen Smith, um, who's a former NHS manager. You know, she's got a lot of experience in uh, pr both provision and commissioning sides of, of the NHS. Um, and she's been tremendously uh, capable at holding the government to account on the specific issue of um, subsidiary companies, which, you know, many NHS organisations have been setting up these subsidiary companies. And the attraction of those subsidiary companies is that they're not um, eligible to pay VAT on their turnover, which NHS organisations have to do. And so there's a significant financial gain What's been interesting looking at the manifestos for this general election campaign is that actually the three major parties uh, at Westminster, the Conservatives, the Liberal Democrats and Labour, are all promising the NHS roughly similar sums of money. There's, there are a few billion different, but it's not wildly different, uh, which is a recognition of reality, I think. Um. I would beg to differ there on, on what um, the Conservatives and the Labour Party are, are promising to spend on the NHS because Labour is promising to spend the 4.1% and increased annually, which m matches what all the kind of health economists, IFS and the OBR and all these groups, um, the King's Fund, etc., have said um, is needed to keep up with growing demand and growing need and growing um, 
health costs inflation, whereas the Conservative Party is um, proposing to spend less than that, uh, something like 3.6% per annum. Now, that sounds like a small percentage difference, but it does work out as billions of pounds in difference year on year, cumulatively. I was just going to say, given what you've both just been talking about, I mean, are you surprised and maybe why do you think it is that we have 14 doctors standing for the Conservative Party and only eight for the Labour Party? I mean, Andy, you mentioned Sarah Wollaston. I wonder if there's a feeling that some of these doctors maybe want to improve things from inside the Conservative Party in a way that I think arguably Sarah Wollaston has done. She's mm-hmm. done some good work. Or whether, you know, it's it's the fact that your profession maybe isn't related to your personal politics. Do you have any sense of why that might be? I, I don't know. I think that I've heard some doctors saying things like, oh, the NHS shouldn't be political. You know, it shouldn't be a political football um, we, sh- it sh- we should keep the government out of the NHS. And they, they, they seem to argue a very apolitical kind of line, which I don't agree with at all. Um, but that then should affect everybody equally. I don't know why there are more more Conservatives and more Conservative doctors standing. I mean, it might not be, but my understanding is that the, the Labour structure of the party, there's, you know, there's, I don't know, you have to be within it for a certain amount of time and there's kind of waiting lists and there's an expectation that you've been involved in, in a lo- in, I guess, councils and a local mm. thing to, to become yeah. a... Cons- and, and I would guess, you know, the Wollaston route was, you know, perhaps unique, yeah. but mm. at least to stand for the Lib Dems and possibly the Conservatives, a, you know, a doctor offering to stand mm. who's got, you know, a good local mm. reputation wouldn't necessarily have had to go through that route and it may be my impression there might be lots of doctors who would consider standing for the Labour mm. Party and the structures perhaps don't make it as easy for mm. them. I'm not. I'm, I'm really yeah. not an expert on that, but I do wonder if that so could be true. So certainly the, the, the Labour Party under Jeremy Corbyn's leadership has uh, seen fundamental changes in its uh, systems and processes. Um, so I don't know to what extent that's playing mm. into it. Um, and the, the reason you mentioned there about some doctors not wanting to get involved in politics, mm. I mean, one of the criticisms, and it, I wonder if there's an analogy with involvement in management, which has often been seen as which... Um, Going to the dark side. Exactly. <laughs> so doctors have, in, in other countries, mm. doctors, you know, the, the, the height of the profession will be running a hospital or a healthcare mm. system or whatever. Mm. Here it's seen as going to the dark side mm-hmm. or moving away from care for a patient, moving away mm-hmm. from clinical mm. accidents or academic accidents. And it seems something else, something that... Um, it's very much divided, but 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 there is an argument that that you can by improving the way you know hospitals manage, you can you know improve the care of more patients than you would be dealing with one patient at a time in front of you or whatever. Do you think there's a similar attitude there that perhaps in the UK that, that there's a feeling that I'm I'm better off being you know an excellent doctor came from the patient in front of me, and these wider issues are somehow outside that. Yes, I do think that 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 could be the case, and I, I think it's you know. Well, you could say the same for any profession, but just speaking as a doctor, it is a very all-absorbing role mm. and you can get you know, more and more into it, more and more deeply into it. And if you want to develop yourself, then you can develop within you know, research, etc. And as, as a GP, it's, I don't work full-time. I, don't think, I can't understand how anyone could work full-time as a GP because it is extremely demanding. So you can see that people think, well, I don't really have time for anything else. Mm. My argument would be that while while you're not having time for anything else, other people are making big decisions that are actually going to impact not only the way your work is organised, but the care that your patients can receive. Mm. Um, It's not much use me being a a good GP that cares about my patients if I can't get my patients seen at the hospital, if I refer on those six months to a year wait, if all the local charities and support groups for people with social problems have been closed down due to underfunding, Mm. uh, etc, etc. I can't actually be a good GP without 
my, this is my view, without being aware of the wider issues that are impacting my patients' health and their access to care. So I don't see a separation between being a doctor and actually being politically engaged with, with a small p, um, with the things that make a difference, the, the people and the processes that make decisions that impact our lives. And I would go wider. It's not just about health. It's also about education. It's about the environment. It's about climate. It's about housing. It's all those issues. I think just it's a citizen's duty, really, to, to be engaged in this. There does seem to be a pressure to, to not be engaged, I would say. Mm. I mean, the, the rules and some of the pressure we've seen from trust around PERDA and just a view mm. of these aren't things you talk about. Either that seems... These things where you're saying this wider picture of what is affecting the health of the people in front of me mm -hmm. seems to be something you say is just something you need to be thinking about, talking about, discussing. Mm -hmm. But it does seem to be this strange pressure to not in some sense. Well, I think we did. I, I did see a letter written, I think, by Simon Stevens or um, somebody quite high up in NHS England, making it clear that doctors and NHS staff are free to, to speak up in this election period, if they wish, um, as long as they don't um, say anything, you know, damning or, or negative about their, their trust or their employer, you know. Yeah. So, but, you know, you can talk in general terms. So, but I think there is a sense that you're not supposed to, that it's almost dirtying your hands to, or, an, or impure, to get into this messy world of politics. Mm. And let's stay pure and just, you know, focused on the, the day job or focus on the patient in front of me. And I just, you know... Mm. The world of politics may be messy, but it is the real world. And it's a world where you will have a government that will be making decisions about what kind of services we have. And therefore, if you decide to ignore that, then you cannot complain, really, I don't think, about what, what they may do. Yeah, politics is how you achieve change. I mean, you know, we have with us Louise, who's, who's stood for Parliament twice. So, you know, clearly there's nothing that's unimaginably difficult about doing it. Um, there are obviously cultural pressures uh, and, you know, how, how it's regarded within the medical profession. I don't know if you perhaps you have a sense about do you get put into a political doctor box if mm. you speak out, you know, either from from your point of view, which is which is supporting the Labour Party now, previously the National Health Action Party. But I mean, you, you know, you must know colleagues who are support other parties do you sense that the profession takes any kind of view about political doctors i think they do i think even doctors or colleagues of mine who are quite supportive of my politics they still i think box me in as a bit bit of a weird bit odd you know yeah. well let louise go off and do that because you know that's her thing and i feel like saying to them yes but it's not just my thing is it it's going to it's it's something that's going to affect all of you so yeah. I, I i would really like to encourage more doctors and actually more nhs staff more widely to become more engaged in politics it doesn't mean you have to stand for election it doesn't even mean you have to join a political party but i think you should be in, involved in the, the the debate the discourse and actually describing your experiences on the front line i think when people hear the stories of what it's really like in the nhs whether you're a nurse in A&E or a mental health worker or whatever, and then they can start to understand what's really happening there. Mm. And that actually helps the public to make a more informed choice about what kind of um, policies they want, what kind of government they want. So I think there's different ways and levels in which you can be involved politically. Mm. I wondered if I could select sort of look at this from a different angle. One of the people that we spoke to from the feature, he mentioned that actually being a doctor doesn't come up very often when he's on the doorstep speaking to people because actually he wants to hear about their problems. And I just wonder how much do you think doctors should bring their profession into their role as an MP? How relevant is it? I mean, I personally 
probably don't know what most MPs did as a job before mm-hmm. becoming MPs and actually how relevant is that to the way that they work as politicians and are doctors slightly different because they have this better understanding of what is a huge part mm-hmm. of our you know, national system. Yes, I, I think um, people have said they, they want politicians or to have had, uh, I don't know, proper jobs. Mm. Um, by that, I think they mean some some experience of um, the real world, uh, the world out there. And I think doctors in particular um, have very direct experience of what life is like for many people. And, you know, the, the fact is that doctors are mainly drawn from the middle and upper classes. That's, that, that's a fact. Um, and that might explain why there are fewer doctors standing for labour. I'm not sure about that. But nevertheless, in our day-to-day work, we actually encounter people from across the spectrum of backgrounds, ages, races, ethnicities, uh, incomes. And have you know, I have personally spoken to many people who have been harmed by, for example, the benefits system. And this is a kind, the kind of person that perhaps in other jobs you're not encountering those real people. So you only talk in abstract terms about things. And I've actually seen, you know, with my own eyes and talked to and, and engaged with people who are experiencing the, the hard brunt of 10 years of austerity. I mean, the determinants of health, which, of course, are what drives the people to come to Louise's GP surgery, um, gives you, you know, I think a pretty strong understanding of actually how the state of British society and the British economy and our communities are. So, I mean, you, you, you can't see that as being in any way a bad thing to for somebody who wants to be a parliamentarian to take into no, take into their work. I don't think it's a bad thing at all. I just think it's interesting because we were talking about, you know, how many more barristers or solicitors you know become MPs and actually you know they might also encounter people who are going through very difficult Mm. times through the criminal justice system and might have different but similar experiences. Sure I mean I think that's uh, I think that's a really valid point there's there's a very good book by uh, Isabel Hardman who's a a very uh, good journalist uh, she's associate editor of the spectator she writes about uh, I think the title of her book is is why we get the politicians we do and and she sort of looks into the composite as you've done, looks into the numbers of and types of careers that people have before they go into parliament, and of course, pe- people come from backgrounds like journalism or law. Well, you're in a debating profession exactly. in the House yeah. of Commons, yeah. and and there's and the the number of people who've been obviously through Oxbridge mm-hmm. education and the student unions of Oxbridge mm-hmm. and Oxford and Cambridge you know Simon Stevens ran one of Boris Johnson's campaigns to become the president of the union mm-hmm. at Oxford mm-hmm. um there's there was quite a lovely anecdote i heard about um about Simon Stevens the chief executive of NHS England um in, in their tutorials at Oxford, uh, and, and, and Simon, you, you know, people read their essays to each other in these tutorials. I wasn't at Oxbridge, so, but I understand that what they do is in their tutorials, they sit around, they read their essays to one another. And Simon was, uh, was, was very confidently, and in a wonderful Simon Stevens way, would have been eloquent disquisition about whatever the hell it was that he was talking about. Um, and after about six or seven minutes of Simon's uh, reading his essay, somebody pointed out that he was holding up a blank piece of paper (laughs) and he was extemporising this. Um, Now, how much confidence that should give us all in the NHS long-term plan and the five-year forward view, I'm not uh, totally sure. But there's something about the kind of very self-confident articulator of a case 
which is obviously going to be quite attractive. If you're sitting on a selection committee at a local party, you know, you're perhaps going to be quite impressed by that glibness and that ability to hold forth in a fairly eloquent and, and probably rather self-confident way. Mm. Um, and, and we kind of see this taken to its ultimate extreme in Boris Johnson. Mm. You know, a man who's been fired twice for lying. The first time from the Times when he made up a quote and the second time by Michael Howard when Boris Johnson was the uh, shadow spokesman for culture, media and sport. Uh, and he was, uh, it came to Michael Howard's attention that Boris Johnson was having one of his multiple affairs and he denied it with the phrase it was an inverted pyramid of piffle. And uh, Boris Johnson's is interesting because he's just essentially a celebrity. Yeah. Much yeah. more than he's a politician. And one of the reasons that there is this alleged Heineken effect where he reaches the parts that other conservatives can't reach is the fact that most people know him for presenting Have I Got News For You or writing sort of semi-funny columns in the Daily Telegraph. Um, and actually, if we look at his performance, well, what was his first speech on the steep steps of Downing Street? He said, we have got a detailed plan for social care. Now, read the Conservative Manifesto, and their detailed plan for social care is to create a cross-party consensus and then have some kind of working group, which is laughable. Mm -hmm. When we know that social care is driving a significant part of the demand pressure on the NHS at the current time. I mean, that idea that there's a particular type of person, there's particular attributes, there's a particular way you do politics, there's yeah. a particular debating, having these views, That I wonder how that ties into the idea that doctors just knowing the system and, and seeing what the problems are could naturally come into it. And that actually just saying, oh, this is a problem, I think this is difficult, I think it would be better if we did this, or I know a lot about this. Mm. I mean, I, I would imagine that there must be real problems when you, when you actually engage with the political system, that that's a lot of times not how you get things done and you know people who've gone into management or whatever would find that that actually there's a there's not necessarily a game to play but there's a there's a way of getting things done which, is, which isn't just this is the problem yes um, so i think doctors we we try to practice evidence-based medicine uh, maybe not all the time but we do try that and so i think when we engage with politics we we do try to Bring, do evidence-based politics and we, we try to bring arguments and evidence to bear on, on, on a discussion and often you see it's actually policy uh, it's actually politics-based evidence mm. Mm. That, and that is very very frustrating for somebody with a more I don't know, sort of more scientific approach to these things and I think it's difficult to shed that and see that maybe to get on in politics is all about who, how glib you are or how good you are at polemicizing or how you are debating. But I think that's wrong and I think that will have to shift. It certainly, it does um, to some extent disadvantage women um, who don't tend to play those games quite as much, although they, they do, they can. Mm. Um, it does definitely dis disadvantages working class people or people who haven't had a certain kind of education. Mm. And um, probably disadvantages people who actually do want to talk from their ex life experience. Um, not that life experience is the be all and end all, but it does can play a role in helping to inform um, policy. Louise, I was just interested if you're kind of optimistic for the future. Do you think there's a groundswell of younger doctors? I mean, people talk about the um, June doctors contract having mm -hmm. um, dispute, having uh, sort of radicalised people. Do you think there are more younger doctors coming through? Do you think we'll see more people engaging with how to change the system, how to make things better? Or do you think doctors are going to continue sort of feeling 
battered by a system they don't control. Uh, I'm very optimistic. I just know so many younger doctors, and not just younger ones, older ones too, but, you know, there's a whole generation of young doctors, younger doctors who got involved in perhaps the, you know, the junior doctors dispute. But beyond that, they, they are just interested and engage even where I work uh, without naming any names just chatting to people around with some of the new younger doctors we've recruited they're all really on the same wavelength it's it's fantastic Um, so I think there's a very bright future I think people in general are getting more engaged I think seeing all those young people being involved in in climate action uh, you know I think they have although the opinion polls look pretty depressing it's that doesn't feel like that on the ground in terms of talking to people I think people really many people really do care many doctors really do care about the state of the world um, the state of the NHS I think the, the step for them to take is to go beyond just caring about it enough you know when they're chatting to friends and colleagues and actually doing something about it and the, I think climate is definitely an interesting one because we found that there were there's eight doctors standing for the Green Party we'll see very strong mm-hmm. Climate change, and I think that really does show the the strength of feeling within the profession on that issue. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I, I recently interviewed uh, that there's a subgroup of uh, Extinction Rebellion doctors for Extinction Rebellion. I interviewed a spokesperson for that, um, and yeah, I, th- there is clearly a change mm. underway mm. already among you know people who are in their twenties and thirties, uh, which which gives us gives us cause for hope. But I'd, I'd kind of like to turn the table a tiny bit and kind of ask ask you guys what your reflections are on the election campaign so far what have what sense have you have you both got of uh, of how it's panning out with less than a week to go really i mean i think we've talked a lot and you ask people about um how the nhs will play in it mm. and it seems that we've not seen any big announcements not seen anything particularly change on where you know when when the firing gun was started how we thought mm. things would play out mm-hmm. um but we've also, um, I guess, not seen it rise up. Nothing seems to have changed. People seem to be making their views on their, as they always do, it turns out, mm. but on their opinion of the party leaders. And mm. these, the nuance of things that really matter around mm. these differences in, the, mm-hmm. in the, um, the election manifestos and how much they're promising, which could, as Louise said, you know, those differences are of billions. It's yeah. not, you know, we can yeah. say it's, you know, it's point whatever difference or whatever, but they're billions of pounds different. They're, yeah. they're promising to put into things that think people think really matter. But what, what it seems to be drive, but that doesn't seem to be cutting through. What people mm. still seem to be, you know, after six weeks of this, well, five weeks of this stage, but six weeks, they still seem to be deciding their vote on, you know, whether they trust these people, their view of them or their view of, um, I mean, Brexit to an extent, but even that is, you know, slightly not dividing the, the, the main parties as you'd think. Um, so I think... I've been surprised that we've not seen, you know, big announcements on on the NHS or any sort of surprise cards or anything kind of come out. And I I'm slightly disappointed, I guess, because you think, it, it, you know, it 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 could be a point for a step change, I guess, in mm. terms of that. What about you, Abby? Well, I'm by no means an expert on politics, but I I get the feeling that I mean, I know it's never a good time for an election, but <laughs> probably now is a particularly bad time for doctors. Mm. You know, we're entering quite a difficult winter people are really struggling we've also got lots of senior clinicians who are being hit by massive unexpected tax bills which are kind of causing them loads of stress and also Mm. meaning that they can't work you know any overtime that they they did so I imagine probably lots of people are slightly distracted and not focusing their full attention on the election because they're working so hard to actually you know look after patients day to day I mean that's the impression I get 
Thank you for that. Thank you, Andy, Louise and Abby. As I said at the start, this is the fifth and final podcast in a series looking at the role of health, healthcare and the NHS in the election campaign. So if you've not yet caught up on the previous podcasts, do give those a listen. In other podcasts, we've talked to Rebecca Rosen and Claire Gerrard about the political debate around primary care, to David Oliver and Hugh Alderwick around some of the funding pledges being made by the main parties, to Jennifer Dixon and Nikki Philpott about the wider determinants of health, and to Siva and Endesiva, Sally Warren and Bill Morgan about how the NHS fits into the politics of this year's election. You can find all those podcasts by going to bmj.com slash podcasts. I've been Tom Mobley, the UK editor of the BMJ. Thank you for listening.